Back evening service, I, I, missed, I missed this gathering. I mean, what was I doing in the evening? I, I, was just, I was just probably sitting on the sofa, weeping with the fact that we couldn't be. Actually, this went on way longer than I expected. I mean, I was expecting to be back together on the 10th of March, but here we are. Here we are. Uh, we're here gathered together for finally, after all this time. I wasn't sure if anybody would show up, but I went bold. I'm like, okay. What we're going to do is we're going to add chairs to this side only. And I know that a lot of people are out of town, students are out of town a lot, of, so I just like add just a few extras just in case. Uh, it looks like I, I made you all sit a little bit tighter together than I... Sorry. Anyways, glad, glad we're all back together. Um, this is a huge day for our church, a massive step forward. Uh, for years, we've been praying for more space, and today, for the first day, we, we are able to have these different locations, two different locations, three different gatherings here in Glasgow, not to mention our gathering in, in Belfast, although technically I suppose I just mentioned it, but we, we've been um, expanding and God has granted us more space so that we can reach people for Jesus, uh, that we can raise up another generation who love God, who love His Word, who, who, um, who are mighty in prayer and mighty in passion for, for his name and his renown. So we're, we're excited about what God's, what God's doing, and, and on top of all that, apparently there's a meeting tomorrow about uh, a potential, or potential north location, so that's still in the works. Why stop now? The painting is just begun, right? No, we're, we're having a fun time. I have a hard time wrapping my mind around what God's doing. Here's a picture of the different locations, uh, actually multiple pictures of the locations of what's going on. So Belfast is currently meeting in, in a hotel as they're in transition to getting their space all fitted out for them. And um, yes, that's Craig, Craig McConnell. Our, our worship, he's there at the Belfast location, apparently. The picture, it's on the picture, so it's true. Um, uh, we've got uh, Southside this morning and, 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 and all that's going on there. Did anybody get a chance to, to visit Southside over the last couple of weeks? Uh, uh, good, good like, like, like 10, 12, 12 of us. Um, pretty amazing what God's done there in, in providing hundreds and hundreds of, of, of more seats. Um, we, we had about 102 people or just more than that th this morning at, at Southside for the first real Southside gathering. I came back in here this morning and this place was Packed. I'm like, 102 people packed. Oh man, I, I thought I thought we'd have um, more time, but I guess apparently one Sunday and it's it's all full again. That that's great. That's exciting. So what we're gonna do is before we get going is we're gonna we're gonna now I I like to do this. We're gonna give God a a great thank you cheer. There's no confetti cannons, so. This is all on you. We're going to give God a cheer of thankfulness and gratitude. I saw it in the Bible once. It's there. Uh, a, a, a shower. So why don't you stand with me? And we are in one of those amazing moments as a people and as a church where God has just done something extraordinary, and we get the joy of being a part of it and, and living in these days. So let's just, okay, I'm going to give us one chance. Okay, I think that's the aim. I know, I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, man. What if I'm the only one that really goes for it? And then I'm feeling really insecure. And what if I shout out and the guy next to me is just like, me? Okay. <laughs> you can be that person. We are just going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. And I've got a microphone on. So it won't be just you. And we're just going to, sh we're going to shout out. We're going to say, yeah. That's what we're going to do. Okay, ready? Except for louder. That was a holding back version. We're going to hold it. Here we go. Three, two, one. Yeah! Woo! Yeah! Yes, God. 
God is doing great things here, and I'm glad you're able to be a part of it. Okay, have a seat, and, and, let's, and let's dive in. Uh, God, is so, God is so good, so good to, to us. Um, today we're going to continue our study in the uh, our, our, our study entitled Make a Difference, Learning to Follow God Well. We've been looking at three different people in the book of 1 Samuel. We've been looking at a woman named Hannah, and then her son, a, a man named Samuel, who is a prophet, a priest, and a judge of the nation. And then we are currently looking at this guy named Saul, who, who is the first king of the nation. Now, all three of these people, as we've seen, have very different stories, very different contexts. And yet, each of them learn in their own way, in their own stories, how to follow God well, or the impact if you don't. But each of them learned the, the significance of, of following God well. So if you've missed some of the last couple weeks, I understand most of you haven't been able to journey or for whatever reason down to the south side. You can catch up on YouTube and, um, and kind of hear where we're at. Last week I spoke about Samuel one last time. There, we talked about Saul for a few weeks, and then you have this extra chapter in chapter 12 where Samuel gives his farewell speech. And we talked about the power of lifelong integrity for making a difference for God. The power of lifelong integrity, and we also talked about the power of embracing grace for your mistakes. So we talked about those two things last week in 1 Samuel chapter 12. But now, this evening, we're back to looking at King Saul, and we're, we're going to be looking at, at his story in, in chapter 13, and what we're going to be looking at today is this. Our call to follow God well, even when your world is falling apart. The essential call to follow God well, even when your world is falling apart. If you want to make a great difference for God, if you want to make a great difference for God in your life, then God is going to need to teach you how to stand strong in your faith, how to stand resilient in your holding on to God in the context of crisis, in the context of stress, and even when you see your greatest fears potentially unfolding in, in your life. Now, if that sounds dark, it's, it's actually not, because as we're going to see, difference makers are forged in the fire of, of crisis, of crisis. And if you endure... If you endure in your moment of crisis, your difference-making potential for God just, it skyrockets. We're going to look at it today. We're going to pick up our story in 1 Samuel chapter 13, starting in verse 5. Again, the context is major stress crisis moment for this king named Saul. So I'm going to start reading in verse 5. It says, The Philistines also gathered to fight against Israel. Now, leading up to verse 5, basically what we've seen is, Saul is king, and he has an army of 3,000 people. 3,000 people. That's how many people are in his army. 2,000 he leads personally, and then his son, Jonathan, heir to the throne, it leads 1,000. So he, they've got the army of 3,000, but then, verse 5, the Philistines also gathered to fight against Israel. They have 3,000 chariots, which are like the tanks of the day, 6,000 horsemen, and troops as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Again, not entirely accurate, but still, you get the idea. Lots and lots of troops. 
they went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Evan. So here's, here's a, uh, the context is crisis, sorry, the context is stress, crisis, and everything falling apart. And just to get an idea of, of what this looks like, there's some pictures here on the screen of, of what this, what's going on in this location. So you've got, you've got um, this. And you, you, what, you, what you have to imagine is Saul and his 3,000 troops are needing to go up this ravine. Michmash is on the north side, up on top, up high. Can you see the mild strategic advantage the Philistines have up on the north side of this, this ravine? And so you've got to take your 3,000 people towards the 3,000 chariots, 600 horse, 6,000 horsemen, and the partridge in a pear tree. And you, you're moving towards here, and it's, it, is, it is a disaster. Not only that, you can see on the map over here, there's the red dot. And, and what, why I have the map there is so that you can see how severe the crisis is because the Philistines are from off the map on this side. They're, they're from off the map on this side. And they've invaded all the way through the nation to Michmash. And so they've, and the yellow bit is the highly fortified mountainous region. They've cut all the way through. And then the green bit, that's just the slopes down to the, the Jordan, um, Jordan Valley, the Rift Valley there. And so they've cut all the way through a, a, a wedge, all the way through the nation. This is a horrible situation. It's an impossible situation. Basically, there is no chance, humanly speaking, that Saul and the nation ha ha have, have any hope here. So the context is stress, crisis, and everything falling apart. So let's keep reading what happens. The men of Israel saw that they were in trouble because the troops were in a difficult situation. That is a understatement. Okay, that is an under. We were in a difficult situation. Yeah, you were. So they hid in caves, thickets among rocks, and in holes and cisterns. Some of the, some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of of Gad and Gilead. Um, and as we know, all those people over there who were born over there, they have one eye. Remember, we, we've been looking at that. If you've missed it, oh, you're missing some good stuff. Saul, however, was still at Gilgal, and all his troops were gripped with fear. He waited seven days for the appointed time that Samuel had set, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and the troops were deserting him. So Saul said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. Then he, Saul, offered the burnt offering. So, okay, so again, context, stress, everything falling apart. Uh, his tiny army in, com in comparison is running away. They, they're hiding. The pressures that he's feeling as, as leader are, they're gargantuan. They're just massive pressures. Now, I want you to feel this before we judge Saul. I don't know how it is when you read through the book of First Samuel. It's very easy to come to a chapter like this and just be like, oh, Saul, 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 Saul. But I, I hope you can feel this, that, to, to know what this is like. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to feel life's pressures pushing down on me. Saul has it much worse than I've ever had it. And I hope I ever have it, and I hope you ever have it. He has a, a terrible situation. So the question that I have for you is, would you say 
that you make the most godly, uncompromising decisions in your life when you're most under the in intense pressure from whatever's going on? Do you make your best godly, most godly decisions when life is just pushing down on you, when people are being horrible to you, when you, when you feel like you're without hope or without God's help? Most everybody says no. And then those who, who, who say, yeah, that's when I make my best decisions, they're delusional. Uh, it, when, we're, when we're feeling the pressures of life, that's when, we're, that's when we're least likely to trust God. We're least likely to, to follow God well. It's in those moments where we're, where we're most likely to quit on God. We're quit waiting for God, quit expecting God to help, start taking matters into our own hands. It's, it's in these pressure moments where our true core is exposed, what we really believe is, is exposed. And what I mean is when, when fear and stress, they, when they pile up, we get to see, our, am I really committed? Am I, am I really believing in my heart of hearts, in the core of my being, that it's safe to trust God right now? Am I really believing that God can be trusted for better and for my very, very worst? You remember Job? Job in the Bible. So Job, Job, he has the most horrible life situation. Um, all seven of his kids die in, in a single moment. The, the house collapses on them, and, and a servant lives to tell them. Um, all his, his heaps of sheep, they all die, and his camels and his donkeys, and, and, and all his stuff is destroyed. And, uh, oh, he's covered with boils, and he's, he's, he's just feeling horrible. He's scraping himself with, with pottery. And on top of all that, his wife lets him know that he has bad breath. You can... You can see that in, in the first chapters of Job. So he is, he is, his life is, is falling apart. And when he, when his life falls apart, this is what he says in chapter 13 of Job. He says, even if God kills me, even if he kills me, I will hope in him. Even if he kills me, I, I will hope in him. Now that is a man who understands. That's a man who, who understands what it is and what is required in the deepest places of our hearts to be someone who follows God well, who follows God well in, in whatever crisis, in whatever life situation. He, he gets it, he understands. In Psalm 112, the psalmist writes about, about what a godly person looks like, one who is able to follow God well. And in Psalm 112, verse 7, we read this, that... This person, he will fear, he will not fear bad news. He will not fear bad news, or, or maybe um, with the meaning of he will not fear, fear when he hears the bad news that has come. He's not going to be afraid when he hears that, bad, that, that the bad things have happened. He will not fear bad news. His heart is confident. His heart is confident trusting in the Lord. In, in, the, in the day of... of um, of bad news and the day of fear and the day of stress how is your resolve to keep walking the godly path keep following god god well um the, the second bit of notes is is this everyone who wants to make a difference for god 
Everyone who wants to make a difference for God needs to learn to keep trusting God in the greatest stress moments of our lives. We need to learn to say and do the right things, no matter how much stress, no matter how much crisis. And this is Saul's moment. This, this is what we're looking at. It's Saul's moment, and, and, and understandably, but, but sadly, sadly, he, he messes it up. He, he compromises in this moment, and he, he sins. He sins, and, and what he does, only a priest is allowed to do. And he, and he offers a sacrifice to God, which, which kind of makes sense to me, because uh, the, his predecessor, the previous leader, was Samuel. And when Samuel was at a moment where the Philistines were invaded, what did Samuel do? He offered a sacrifice, and they were victorious, and God thundered against them on that day. I think that's chapter 8 or something like that. He's doing what his predecessor did, but his predecessor was a priest, and, and, and Saul is not, so he, he's not allowed to do this. And so this is what happens in verse 10. Just as he finished offering the burnt offering, Samuel arrived, so Saul went out to greet him. And Samuel asked, what? <laughs> Sorry, I better say that differently. Samuel asked, what have you done? Saul answered, when I saw that the troops were deserting me and you didn't come within the appointed days and the Philistines were gathering at Michmash, I thought the Philistines will now descend on me at Gilgal and I haven't sought the Lord's favor. So I forced myself to offer the burnt offering. Now, I grieve this, this story every time. I, I feel like I understand Saul. I, I, I feel like I just understand uh, a bit about what's pressuring, pressuring him. In fact, I, I feel like I can identify more with Saul than Samuel. Samuel just, he doesn't make any mistakes. He's just this extraordinary person where, where I, I look at Saul and I'm like, okay, I, I can see this. I can see how he is, he is crumbling under this, the intensity of this this stress. So I, I want Saul to navigate this flawlessly, but I can't throw any stones. So here, he, he descends into making some excuses, and actually some of them are pretty good excuses. At first he says, you know, the troops are deserting me, which, which is true. I mean, many of you have experienced moments where you're feeling life's pressure caving down on you, or you feel yourself in an impossible situation, and where are your friends in that moment? And you feel abandoned and, and deserted. You, you're, you're, you're in a difficult moment and you, you turn and the people you thought were there for you just aren't there for you. And so life just becomes that much more desperate. So I know many of you know what that's like. And then his ne next excuse, he looks to Saul, uh, Saul looks to Samuel and says, you were late. You, you, you were late. And, and, and I understand that too. Of, of all... <laughs> Of all people, I think I understand time pressures. They get to me quickly. Uh, I don't like um, very simple things like delay. I don't like delay. I don't like the word, let's wait longer. That's like one of my favorite, least favorite phrases. Uh, it doesn't make me happy. But, but I feel this stress. The stress. I, as everything is falling apart, and you said you'd be here, and you're not here. And I felt like I had to do something. But here's what I don't like about this moment is he blame shifts a bit. And there's a, a hint of this, you were late and so I had to. Now, I know that a lot of you might understand what this is like and you've experienced this uh, where you want to put the blame on someone else for your behavior. 
But we have to be people who own it when we mess up and it's not their fault. And you can say, well, yeah, I, I did that to you, but, but first, you did that to, thing to me. And, and you hurt my feelings, you know, and, and, and just, we start, we want to, I was only evil to you because you were late or something like that. And, and we have all these reasons to like shift the blame. You're the reason for the evil that came out of me. I'm, I'm relatively a victim here, right? And, and we have that, we have that vibe. We have that, that sense. But the thing is, if you are evil to someone, I don't care what the context is or what the situation or what the pressures are that have brought you to this moment, it's on you. And you have to own it. You have to own it. I don't care what they did. I don't care what they said. I don't care who started it. Do I sound like your parent? But that's just how it is. You did that. You own that. So he, he, he tries to do a little bit of shifting there, but he continues to go on because he's got another interesting excuse. And, and his next, he talks about his desperate need for God's favor. And if you've ever found yourself in one of those moments in life where you are desperate for help, you understand how how urgently you want to hear from God. I know that many of you have had times, God, if you would just tell me right now what you want me to do, or God, would you just tell me when you're going to do that thing, or God, would you just tell me, you know, should I ask that person out, or, or you know, like, God, will you just help me in this moment? Are you going to save me in this moment? Would you just help me? Would you just rescue me in this particular moment? And, and you just know the need for God's favor. And, you know, Saul Saul does this a few times. He never seems to understand. In fact, the day before he dies, he's still making the same mistake, where he's so desperate to hear from God, where he's so desperate for God's help that he sins in order to try and get God's help and favor. That's kind of one of his, his blind spots, or obvious, not blind spots, where he, he's like, I wanted God's favor, and so we, I gave the sacrifice. In, in the future, he's going to want to hear from God, and he's going to go to consult a witch. So you, you have this, this pattern going on, but the thing is, God, God loves obedience. And this is what God keeps saying to, to Saul. I desire obedience rather than sacrifice. God's going to forgive you. God's going to be gracious to you. And yet what he wants is for you to trust him. To trust him in those moments. The eyes of the Lord are constantly searching through the entirety of the earth to strengthen those, 2 Chronicles 16:9, by the way, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And the context of 2 Chronicles 16:9 is the context of crisis and, and, and pressure and strain and stress. God is searching the whole earth to bring strength to people who are trusting him and are holding on without compromising in their moment of, of crisis. God helps those who trust him, even when things are falling apart. Now, let's look at this, uh, what I think is the most sobering moment of the whole section. In fact, in my Bible read-through group a few weeks ago, of the whole book of 1 Samuel, these two verses were the ones that struck me uh, hardest. Verse 13, Samuel said to Saul, You have been foolish. You have not kept the command which the Lord your God gave you. It was at this time... 
that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel, but now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man loyal to him, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not done what the Lord commanded. And so my, my Bible read-through uh, share was, was something about how it's in, it's in the greatest moment of stress it's in the greatest moment of stress, the moment when you're most likely to stop waiting for God. It's in the moment where you're most likely to take matters into your own hands. It's in the moment where you're seeing everything fall apart around you. It's, it seems to be that God places the most significance connected to our future in those moments. So the moments of greatest stress are the the moments of greatest stress are the moments God seems to place the most potential in. Here, here, uh, Saul has the potential for a dynasty moment. He he has the potential not just for a kingship for his lifetime, but for a dynasty. Like God was going to establish His household in in this moment. In this hugely stressful moment, was His moment where God was going to permanently establish. But he compromised. And it's not his son's fault because we, we, if we were to keep reading, we're not going to keep reading. But if we were to keep reading, we'd see that Jonathan, his son, is ready. Jonathan, his son, is a godly, brave, warrior, ideal king. Uh, everything we see about Jonathan in the Bible, we're like, this guy would be an extraordinary king for the nation. It was set up for an amazing dynasty. And again, it's not that Saul sins and he loses the kingship. He's going to be king all of his life and he's going to live till, till 72 or something like that. About 70, 72 years old. Um, uh, at least David's age, if not two years older. And, he, and his compromise here isn't going to ruin the nation. In fact, they're going to be victorious. God is going to show up at this moment and those 3,000 people actually, just Jonathan and his armor bearer, and there's a great story there, but they're going to rout this whole army. And and God is just going to show up and do something amazing. So it's not his sin doesn't mess up that day. God is still there. But the heartbreaking loss in this moment is that this stress moment was his opportunity to become permanently established and his legacy laid down for the ages. I mean, can you imagine in your moment when you feel like God isn't paying attention to you, in your moment where you feel like everything is falling apart in your life, it may very well be in that moment of yours that God is giving you the opportunity to be firmly established in in his extraordinary legacy possibility for your future if you keep going a few weeks ago two weeks ago I was at church and somebody handed me a piece of paper on that piece of paper was a verse I read, I, I, I read the verse, uh, these words, Psalm 22, verse 1. <clears throat> and it said this, it said, it says, Psalm 22, verse 1, and this was in a, um, basically a foreign language, I think it's King James. <clears throat> it says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? 
Now, when I got this, this verse written on a piece of paper, I'm like, that's kind of random. I don't, I don't really know what to do with that. And then God spoke to me about that verse. And, he, and he's like, Brian, remember, remember these are the words that Jesus quotes and he speaks when he's hanging on the cross. These words from Psalm 22. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross was his moment where he was feeling the most forsaken by God, where the Father had turned his face away, where he is suffering and feeling unhelped, where he's feeling abandoned. He had never felt this alone in his entire existence or this much uh, physical or emotional pain. He will never feel that again. This was his, his moment where he felt uh, abandoned, forsaken, and yet it is in his moment of greatest suffering that he perseveres in and keeps trusting the, the God who had turned his face away and claims the victory of the ages over salvation. It's in, it's in that moment when he felt most abandoned by God in all of his existence that he kept going, that he kept trusting God, and he receives the greatest victory. I hope that this is not a message for your today. And, and yet, if you need it today or if you need it someday in your future, maybe you feel like you're in a moment of crisis or you feel like your life is falling apart. And maybe you feel abandoned by God. Maybe you feel let down by God. Maybe you feel like, like God isn't helping you, that, that, he, that he's not paying attention to you. What you do in those moments when you feel that way, what you do in those moments might be the most important decision-making moments of your life. Some people give up on God in those moments. Some people press on in faith in those moments. What, what, you, what, what path are you going to walk? You're going to walk the path of Jesus who when the father turns his face, he keeps going? Or are you going to walk the path of Saul as the pressure fills up and he feels like, like he needs desperate help from God and God hasn't shown up on time or things haven't happened at the right time that he compromises and he loses his potential. His, his legacy never reached its potential. That was Saul's moment to be established or not established. And he didn't even know it. And that's the thing. God doesn't tell us, oh, by the way, what you're about to go through right now is going to be horrific and you're feel like I'm not paying attention. Actually, I'm watching very intently because how you navigate this moment is going to set up your destiny, your future. You might be living in one of the most legacy-defining moments of your life and it feels like God isn't even there. Kind of what's going on here now <laughs> last sunday night uh last sunday night um instead of being here I, I was at home looking at this passage and i thought to myself god you know <laughs> this is kind of like a celebration sunday for, for us as a church and i'm looking at this passage saul's failure and i'm thinking looking at our church thinking victory and and and, and south side and and new new i mean 
a lot has come together this week. It didn't look like this last Sunday, but, but, but it, it just exciting stuff going on. And, and I'm like, God, is this, is this the right passage for this Sunday? Because there's a lot in this book. I could, look, I could look somewhere else for something a little bit more happy, a little bit more yay, celebration. And, you know, is this, is this what you have for us as a church? I was kind of chewing on that and walking around the flat. And, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, I felt like God started speaking. So I went to my desk, it was later in the evening, and I, and I just started writing, writing it down. And I feel like this is, this is God's connection to this story in our church at this strategic moment. See, in the story thus far, Saul, Saul didn't ask to be king, and yet he was given something extraordinary. And God appointed him king. He gave him something wonderful, cha- uh, uh, impacted his life, changed his life, changed his impact on the nation. It was nation-changing in impact. God gave him the nation to lead, the kingship. But the question is, what is Saul going to do with the kingship that he's been given? W- will he continue to follow God well, but he, will he continue to trust God well after being given this great gift? Because the goal was not for Saul to become king. That was the beginning. What is he going to do with what he's been given is the question of the age. And I think God's word to us is, is very similar. It's very similar at this moment. God has given us something wonderful. He's, he's, he's given us um, hundreds and hundreds of, of, of more seats. He's, 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 he's been multiplying uh, our, our locations over the last couple of years. This is a great new beginning for, for us as a church in this city. We've worked hard. We've worked hard. Um, I've got paint on my arm still. We've been working hard uh, getting these things ready and, and, and cleaning things and um, and sacrificially giving offerings and time and, and all that sort of stuff. But, but these doors are open and we're meeting again in this place, but this wasn't the goal. Yay! Felt like the goal two days ago. Can we just get this place open? But that wasn't the goal. The, the question is, what will we now do with what we've been given? Are we going to sit back and just be like, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. Wow, that was fun. We, we got the doors open. That, that's what God wanted for us. No, or are we going to lean in and are we going to grab on to this opportunity? And, and I think that's the choice laid before us at this moment. Are we going to coast or are we going to grab onto this, this, this moment? Now that we've been given this, the question is, what are we going to do with what we've been given? And I, and I encourage you, I encourage you to step into this opportunity. The evening service can have an extraordinary impact on this whole church. I think there's some of you who would be like, you know what? I could probably do something. I could probably help with kids in the, in the morning on the south side. Or I could probably help with kids in, in the morning. You know, we've got, we've got need for help in different services. You're already you're here. You have this as your church, and you're, you got your family here uh, in the evening. But man, the rest of the church could be blessed by by you stepping up in some different ways, or or in in offering. This it, we we've been blessed by incredible generosity over this last season by the people in this church and beyond. I just encourage you to continue to to be asking God. Okay, God, continue to bless the offerings that I'm bringing, and 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 and. And so continuing that way, uh, I want to join the welcome team. People, God is going to be bringing people in. There's more space. He's going to be bringing people into this church. I want to be on the front lines, letting people know and experience that God cares for them because I'm caring for them as they walk in the door. 
Um, there's, there's prayer ministry uh, opportunities. If you, if you want to be a part of prayer ministry team and get train, training in that. If you want to be a Bible read-through group leader, more people are coming in the doors. This Sunday we've had more people as part of our church than, than ever, ever before. I believe this is just an incredible opportunity and an incredible moment for us as a people. We have an opportunity to make a very big difference in our generation. And God has just thrown open the doors of favor on us. He's spoken the word abundance. And he's, and he's given us this moment. These moments aren't always forever. But we have a season now where God is just saying yes and now. And I encourage you, you're here for a reason. You're this age for a reason. You're this time for a reason. Grab on. Grab on and, and take advantage of that. We're, we're in this series entitled Make a Difference. You've got an opportunity. We're in this series entitled Make a Difference, learning to follow God well, and we do that when, we, when, we're, when we're taking advantage, when we're holding on to the opportunities and the situations that God gives us, whether they're challenging moments and persevering in them, or whether they're great moments and maximizing them. God is reawakening our city. Things are, hearts are turning to him. We've seen more salvations in the last three years than, than ever before. Good things are happening. Be a part. Be a part of this and make a difference. I got three challenges for us uh, today. Uh, three challenges, uh, and there, maybe these will pertain to you, maybe not. But first, the first challenge is, is there a stress or a crisis moment that you know you compromised in and gave into the pressure of the moment. When, when you're looking at your life, when you're assessing things, okay, I, I didn't navigate that well. Okay, apologize to God for that and ask for His grace. His grace is, is extraordinary. You've got it. Just agree with Him. God, I agree with you. I messed that moment up. Uh, forgive me. Secondly, are you in a crisis moment? Like right now, are you in one of those moments? I want you to find a trusted, godly friend and ask them to keep you accountable to following God well and not to compromise in this moment. It's a moment where you're more likely to compromise. So get extra reinforcements. Tap into God's family. Tap into God's family. Lean on each other. And thirdly, do you know someone who is stressed and in crisis? And the challenge for you is to come up with a good way to encourage them to keep going and to not give up trusting God.